Straw Hut Media. Hi, Levi. Hello. It is so cool to be back on your show. It is you. It is it is a momentous occasion for Heather and me because you are our first second podcast, our first <laughs> second appearance uh, on on a first <laughs> second appearance, and that's because we love you so much. So today we're going to do something a little different on the Pride Podcast. I connected with Anne Heche and Heather Duffy, the hosts of Better Together with Anne and Heather, the podcast. And through them, I was introduced to Randy. And today I think we are all so happy to be here talking about a man's story that deserves to be heard, a man's story that is going out into the world right now. He is a life changer and a, and a, and a, site, and a leader in the movement of making sure that you understand that your life is your own privilege and that you deserve to be loved for who you are. And his name is Mr. Randy Thomas. So today we bring you the story of Randy Thomas. Randy was the former vice president of Exodus International. Exodus was a nonprofit group under the Christian umbrella that practiced conversion therapy. And conversion therapy is the attempt to change an individual's sexual orientation, gender, identity, using psychological or spiritual interventions. And, and incidentally, all medical professionals have denounced this practice as harmful, and it is illegal in 20 states. I wanna to state too, for everybody and for you, Levi, because we are going to be talking about this. I have a very interesting connection to this story because my mother has been a part of conversion therapy herself. And so we wanna further the story by also including as we get through this story about Randy's connection with my mother, what is going on with Exodus, as Exodus has exited the planet and is no longer legal. So we wanna talk about Randy's beginning in his life, why he started and began to understand that he wanted to be a part of a movement that would be conversion therapy and how he got on the other side. I'm Levi Chambers, and this is Pride. Well, a little bit about my story. I, you know, I'm 53 years old, and I grew up the sensitive kid. You know, uh, while the other kids were knocking each other around on the football field, I was arranging fall leaves by color, <laughs> which one one should do. I saw I was a different kind of kid. I was called all kinds of names. I wondered what uh, sissy was when I was 10 years old. I definitely knew I was gay when I realized I wanted to marry both Bo and Luke Duke. Um, it took me a couple of uh, seasons to figure out Daisy was a cousin. There's something about those Duke boys. But anyway, I wasn't raised in the church. We were nominal Christians because my grandmother was one basically. Um, but my mother had been uh, in the church when she was a, a younger person, or a little girl, and she had instilled in her a very toxic theology about LGBTQ plus people. So at the age of 18, when she found an invitation to a gay Valentine's Day party addressed to my boyfriend and I, the first time I came out, I got thrown out of the house. Well, I mean, I, I worked at the Gay and Lesbian Center, you know, this is years ago, and the amount of stories that we heard about how prominent and dominant this is, is a reaction the parents have to their children telling them the truth about their sexual uh, identity. Did you find yourself in that place, Levi? Are you are you familiar with this uh, story among people that you, that you know? Yeah, I, I actually had a friend growing up, because I grew up in Arizona, and 
um, I don't know that you'd call him a friend, but he was in like the circle that I ran in and he was the subject of a documentary and I won't say what it was so that, you know, he's not like drawn more attention to it, but he was the subject of a documentary about, um, conversion therapy. And so it's, it's always been something that I've been aware of. I think I became more aware of it as I became more like entrenched in the LGBTQ plus community, specifically more entrenched in LGBTQ plus media, because it's such a huge topic of conversation, especially today as states, like you mentioned, are making it illegal while it's still going on, or it's kind of like going on under the radar. And I feel like it's, it's one of those things that everyone's ready for it to be like something way in the past that you just like kind of remember, or some people barely remember. And it's a figment of our imagination at some point while it's still obviously going on. And a lot of people are being subjected to all of the horrendous treatments that are considered therapy in that setting. Yeah. Well, I think that is, a, I mean, it is, that's the goal. And I think the way that we achieve that goal is through more and more people who come into our lives, the angels that save us from the place where we think, because obviously we look at what happens to these uh, young LGBTQ plus communities. And as Heather has talked about a lot, we are looking at a survival um, situation where we want to encourage uh, a more love and compassion for them because there is a very high rate of suicide well among it's even the, teens. The, the, they did a national survey and found that lgbtq plus youth who experienced conversion therapy were twice as likely to attempt suicide so which, we want to get huge. Inside. It's huge. Which is huge. Which means yeah. our huge. voices need to be heard more because when we talk about the stories and how people are saved from that feeling of wanting to destroy themselves, it comes in many different packages and it came in a very unique one for our friend Randy with Who Saved Him. It went down pretty terribly. Um, she did come to me the next day, asked me to sit on the foot of her bed and she said, are you a homosexual? And I had always told my friends that if she asked me, I would tell the truth. If my stepdad asked, I would lie. But with her, I was like, yes. And she said, you're dating? And I was like, I have a boyfriend. And she lost it. She absolutely lost her mind. And, um, and she was the pillar of my existence. I'd never seen her act like that before. Um, she told me I was dismissed, disinherited get out the house, don't talk to your brother. Um, you have an hour to get to pack up whatever you can and get out. And um, my God. so I, I lived out of my car for three weeks and a drag queen eventually took me in. Uh, we won't go down that rabbit trail, but uh, the, I call her my drag mom, now my drag guardian angel, may she rest in peace, uh -huh. uh, Mela. Wow. And I really see her as saving my life. Mm -hmm. So that's a a tragic way of coming out the first time. And when I came out, I was not a healthy person. I found a, I found the very dark side of the party scene really quick mm -hmm. and developed even more. I mean, my household had been abusive growing up and those types of things. So I got involved in abusive relationships. Right. I, I abused drugs. Um, I was not a good person myself. Um, and so that all drove me to the bottom really quick. And in 1992, I became, I was searching for answers. I went to a 12-step program for a little while, um, and I eventually became a Christian. And unfortunately, that led to a, a um, I won't say the name of the church, but a particular church that seemed really groovy and hip and all this good stuff, but they had a special program for the gays. Uh -huh. And it happened to be an Exodus referral program. 
And I went into uh, the meeting very skeptical. Um, but because they were addressing issues that weren't really even about sexuality, but like codependency and things like that, I was hooked. Uh-huh. And so the hook was the legitimate issues, but they tied it back to this whole toxic view of LGBTQ+. Um, yeah, that you're that you're a codependent because you're gay, you're a sex addict because you're gay. Uh-huh. You know, it, it wasn't just you're just a human right. with issues, just like other humans. <laughs> yes. It always got tied back to being gay. So the church and the church group become in kind of instant addiction because you're you're being seen in 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 in, in you are feeling, even though people are telling you you're not normal, you're surrounded by people who are like you. So it feels more normal than where you've been before. Well, I couldn't help but think they had all of these kids assembled. If if only they had had them all together, because all of a sudden you recognize, like you said, you recognize yourself oh. and others. But if they'd only assembled them for good and but support yes, and said, love, Here you are. which is who they really just... are. Can you imagine the impact that would have had? Was this the first time you were able to kind of openly talk about your sexuality? Yes. And that's a very good observation because that was one of the the other hooks. It's the first time I felt safe to really communicate my heart. Absolutely. I think one of the saddest things about what we just heard is that very common path of coming out to family and thinking like, maybe this is going to be okay. This is, my mom's going to react a certain way, even though maybe she has some sort of, you know, beliefs that I know about. I think she's going to react okay because she loves me. Yes. And that getting kicked out, then you live in your car and then someone adopts you in some capacity and tries to help and kind of nurture you along. And then in his story in particular, he's falling into like a partying scene. But I feel like that's a very common story that you hear from people who maybe not experienced conversion therapy, but that negative coming out story. It's why when really young people reach out like to the podcast on Instagram or you know send an email and say like, hey, I'm 15, I really wanna come out, my family's gonna freak out and I don't know if they're gonna kick me out. There is some level of giving people advice like unless you have a really great game plan for how you're gonna handle that, if you're under 18, that can be so scary. I mean, I suppose he was lucky enough that he had a car to live in as you know, as scary as that is, but so many people don't. And then they end up living on the streets, experiencing homelessness at a really young age. And of course that turns into all sorts of things, ways to make money that they may not have you know, thought about themselves doing before finding themselves in that position. But it is such a common story and so sad, right? But it's not easy also to go into a, a place, of course, where you're hurting. And this is, of course, where the churches open their doors to these kids who are not, do not have the safety. And I think we can um, uh, listen a little bit more to Randy and the truths of what happens once you are in a system that opens their doors to you and it feels like love, but it sure ain't. And this might be called the word manipulation. Yeah, um, the group that I was involved in really disarmed me because I was expecting the Bible thumping, blue hair, you're going to hell kind of manipulation, and they didn't do any of that. Um, the way they they hooked and manipulated me into the group was the very first night I went. They they didn't even talk about homosexuality. They talked about emotional dependency, and that topic just nailed me. I mean, right here because that was my core that was my that was how i related to people so it hit me where i was living 
Um, and I'd never heard that. And it really did help me as far as the emotional dependency was concerned. But the problem is, is that they were infusing that stigma and that in toxic theology within all of it. So while I was getting these morsels of life-giving insight on emotional dependency, I was being taught to kill myself uh, metaphorically and uh, um, because I was gay. And, and so it was a weird mix. A weird mix. That is that is certain. It's the, it's the dichotomy, isn't it? Do you does something come to ring true to you, Levi, in any way where you start to hear about these theologies that are going over, and, and it rings true? The word does the word cult come to mind, or or um, uh, hypnotism, or what? What comes to you because you're many generations younger than me? What? How do you absorb that information from Randy? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that, again, like we're talking about these like commonalities in people's stories that have experienced conversion therapy, specifically with Randy, where in a way, not that he sought it out, but that he sort of fell into it as an adult person, right? Where a lot of kids I grew up with that experienced conversion therapy, some of them were like, their parents woke them up in the middle of the night and said, hey, you're going somewhere. And they were driven to the middle of the country in the Midwest and left there at a camp, essentially. Um, so it, with his story, it's unique that, well, it's not unique, but it's interesting that he, he kind of found himself in a room with these people and kind of had the option in the beginning to gravitate away from it. But it's this like illusion that they're creating of like, look, we're all the same. And there is this exodus that you can experience too. You just have to believe in all of these things we believe in. And, and we're going to tell you where they're right. That is the manipulation part, right? As he said, like, there was no Bible thumping. There was none of that. No, because it's like an indoctrination. Right. Kind of into a cult-like mentality. When you were on the podcast the first time, you talked about your own upbringing being kind of culty, right? It's not only kind of culty. I was born into a cult, and it was a sex cult, and it was called First Baptist, which I really thought, because everybody asked me what it is, and I noticed on some of the churches called First Baptist because people ask, well, what's the name of your cult? Well, just this little thing outside of, you know, Aurora, Ohio, whatever. It was a sex cult. We lived on the same, you know, the same property and they raped us. <laughs> like, what else was it? But in the name of God, it was called First Baptist. Now, what the heck does that mean? Talk about confusing. And that's why my passion for this is, is so important. One, I think it destroys people mentally, physically, and emotionally for themselves. But what I, is worse is that it furthers it onto their friends, their families, and everybody else around them. It's the same contaminated disease. I think we're going to hear about this. Yes, this is exactly why I have even more, even, even more passion than maybe could be explained. I was, I was there, folks. You know, when I first came out the second time, I don't recommend coming out twice, just do it once. Um, (laughs) When I came out the second time, I don't know that I would have thought that, but I watched the um, the Scientology docu-series with Leah Remini, and I saw um, the the Nexium docu-series, and it, it hit me, like every episode, I'm like, okay, the circumstances were completely different, but the emotional manipulation, the language redefinition, the system of rewards and punishments it was all the same. And so now I don't have a problem saying that I was involved in a cult because how it operated in its dynamics and and everything just is a very good parallel. Um, the circumstances were different, of course, but I would consider it a cult. 
I, I, it's definitely mind game and it's religious abuse and 700,000 people have been victimized by this conversion therapy in some way, shape or form. And that's at the time that they were doing the research during the Prey Web film. There is conversion therapy happening right now. Hmm. 700,000. I just hadn't heard that term before, religious abuse, and I felt like it was a very bold thing for him to say. Now, maybe I'm naive and this is a phrase that gets bounced around a lot, but I hadn't heard it and it makes so much sense to me. That's what it is. You're taking God and you're replacing this God with whatever you want to say to these kids who are vulnerable and basically decoding the truth out of them and presenting them with a lie that they're not who they are and they don't deserve to be and they're not loved for it. Yeah. No, I don't know that I had heard that term before, but I immediately knew what it meant. Do you yes, know what I mean? Like yes. one of those one of those phrases that you're like, oh, I I get this. I know what I know exactly what he's talking about. So at this point in the conversation, Heather and Anne introduced another voice to the Pride podcast, Anne's mother, Nancy Hesh. Anne hinted earlier that Randy and Nancy knew each other, and now you're going to find out why. A little history for the listeners about Anne's family. I know we touched on it a little bit, but Anne grew up in a very um, religious, culty family. <laughs> and her father uh, lived a double life. He was a gay man and kept that from the family. And when he died of AIDS, uh, his secret was brought to the surface. As a matter of fact, the day after he died of AIDS, the cover of the New York Times listed, you know, right there on the cover said, called AIDS the gay disease. And so Anne's family, because they were involved in the church, was shunned and had to leave and move and complete life upheaval because of that. Anne's mom's answer to that was to um, dedicate her life to this movement that we're talking about. She has written books. She um, gives therapy to clients. She tours the country speaking on conversion therapy through religion, basically. And um, the interesting part of this is that Randy knew Anne's mom. They were together in green rooms and, um, you know, they were basically both working together towards the same- They were part of the leaders. Cause, in, mm -hmm. put that in quotes. What we had experienced and gone through with my husband, abandoning the family, deserting us, living a secret life, a life of deception and unconfessed sin and addiction, that that our family would never have anything to do with homosexuality again. That seemed like a perfectly reasonable assumption. I, I wouldn't even say the word homosexual. And the second part of, so, so I was angry with Anne about betraying that unspoken vow. And I also was angry and, and hurt that this, seemed to be walking away from a commitment that she had made to follow the Lord uh, in her younger life. And so it was a betrayal of a family promise and a betrayal of her commitment to the Lord. 
For anyone who doesn't know, Anne fell in love with Ellen DeGeneres in 1997, and the couple dated for more than three years. As you can tell, Anne's mother did not take the news well. She thinks that it's the homosexuality that annihilated their family. What annihilated the family was the lie. And therefore, Anne is actually doing the complete opposite and living in truth. That's why I call most things that I was raised with the flip side. You, 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 you know, things are labeled a lot. The, the thing that is the lie is buried in the things that are labeled are, are such bullshit you can't even believe. What I found funny about listening to that just then was Anne betrayed an unspoken truth. But that is an oxymoron, folks. You do not, you cannot, this is one of the things that's so important to me about defining, there are no assumptions, especially within a family, especially within trauma and drama and lies adverse truth. You must be able to come to an agreement of understanding what it is that's the agreement before you can betray it. That's just step one in communication. And it's interesting, you know, uh, your mother is very educated in the Bible and knows all the words that are written in it. Yep. And one of the things <laughs> that I find with religion is that you can you can read something and twist it to any way. And this, you know, my mother spoke with Falwell. This lie that it permeates and and destroys what it is that is the truth is the disease that I believe is is what we're trying to eradicate right now in our culture, if we can. But that's the first time I ever heard, or um, or by the way, that's the first time I ever heard that full clip. The sexual sins that are in a family are really hard to exercise. I'm called as a parent to be like the father in the story of the prodigal son. Uh, that I'm, I'm called to be all loving, all giving, all forgiving, everything I have is yours kind of person. And not to measure out my love according to how somebody acts or what they believe. So I, I have, I have the, the truth and the Holy Spirit I, I teach it all the time, so it's it's in me. And can I practice it in the moment? It's very hard, and I, I don't have to live it right now. And so I'm aware that when I talk to parents or spouses or siblings or children who have just heard the news, that I, I have no unrealistic expectation that they can say, oh, I'm all loving, all giving, all forgiving, everything I have is yours. Um, another thing I teach is from 2 Corinthians that uh, the, the verse 2 Corinthians 5:19 that God is in the world reconciling the world. God is reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So can I jump right into okay? I'm not going to hold that sin against you. No, I couldn't do that right away. I know. I just know I couldn't. And the third thing I teach is about the blessing. And I teach, I teach a lot about the blessing. People have heard that. I write about that in my book. What, what I learned about the blessing is that the blessing means to ask God to interfere. Not me, but ask God to interfere and take action in one's life to bring them into the right relationship with Himself. Because the blessing releases God's power to change the character and destiny of the one being blessed.
This is going on right now, Levi. We haven't spoken since she did she, since she started this. Um, I guess seeking for God to interfere because she doesn't understand what love is. So does she still teach? This is still what she does. Yes, she still does it. Yes. This is what she does. This is her ministry. So unlike Randy, she did not. No, no, no. She's not. She is not converted. She did not no. exit Exodus. Yes. Despite it being an illegal. <laughs> Despite it being illegal, scene. she's doing it. She's criminal from beginning to end. And she makes a lot of money from it. And by the way, she and my sister live in multi-million dollar properties that have gained their wealth from preaching this lie. There is not one thing that I find more, more repulsive. Can you tell? Yeah, absolutely. Because there is some, there's some level of like, like you talked about religious abuse, right? There's some level of like believing something so much that you genuinely want to help people. Then there's another from exploiting it for right. your financial gain or whatever. Yep. And that's what it becomes, right? When yes. if you live in a very fancy house, couldn't you change a lot of lives for the better? I'm talking fancy house. I'm talking, I'm not only talking fancy house, I'm talking a $6 million property in Michigan, a $6 million property in Florida, and a $6 million property in Chicago, plus maybe more that they've made off their ministry. And by the way, it's time to tell the truth because you know what the truth does? Ripple and triple and make people feel better because they understand that what they see is what it is. I want a little bit from Heather because you're friends with Anna's more than not better together with Anna and Heather, none of that, but you're friends, right? So you see the, I guess you'd say the repercussions of people behaving that way or using religion and faith as this weapon, right? Because you see it directly with your friend. Well, I, I, first of all, forget everything as a mother, as a mother, when I see what Anne's mom has done to her, when I see how Randy's mom reacted to him. It, it, it breaks my heart. And I don't understand on any level how a mother could turn her back on, on her child. And for me, that, that, that is just the paramount thing that, that if all of these parents had supported their children in a different way, the world would be a better place. I think that oftentimes you wonder what is the most important thing you can do to contribute to the world. If you are a parent or even a friend, or a, if you can show love and give love and give acceptance, and if everybody felt that, that would ripple and triple and That's affect right. the world. That's right. So as parents, it is such a responsibility to accept your kids. They, they were born and made exactly as God intended them to That's be. That's correct. So if you're a Bible belter and you believe in all of that, then believe in that thing. God doesn't make mistakes. That's he right. made people exactly the way he wanted them to. That's really how, how I feel about it. And I feel incredibly protective of Anne and I have a huge bone to pick with, with her mother. Um, and um, it's just, it's a sad story, but I like sharing these stories of people who have come out of it okay. Anne is better for it. Randy is better for it. And I want people listening to remember and, and take notice of that. When we come back, the fall of Exodus International.
Welcome back. In today's episode, we're hearing from Anne Haish and Heather Duffy, the hosts of the podcast Better Together with Anne and Heather. Before the break, they introduced us to Randy Thomas, a gay man who went to great lengths to try and change his sexual orientation. He became a leader of Exodus International, the largest conversion therapy organization in the world. But how did he get to be such an important member of the organization? And why did he stick around? Let's dive back in and find out. Well, um, I started out as a participant, of course, and after about a year or two, I, f I found my voice, which is going to sound weird. Like when I grew up, I was never allowed to talk in the house. Um, after I got out in the bars and was doing the drugs and whatever, that's when I would talk. But when I was involved in the support group or the conversion therapy group, I found my voice. And they gave me opportunity to share my story. And of course, I mean, I changed it to fit what would bring me the applause because um, I was desperate for attention. And I, apparently I can tell a good story. And so they would put me in front of different groups to share my story of overcoming and freedom from. And I, I eventually started teaching at the, at the group. I started teaching at regional conferences and national conferences. And then the Exodus office started asking me to do like local interviews uh, with media outlets and things like that. And so I started to get a name within that circle. Um, it's not something I'm proud of. It's very much like a drug. I, I, you know, when people, when congregations, entire congregations would stand up and clap, that's numbing, um, it's addicting. And it was something that I had never had in my life before. I'd not had affirmation like that before. Eventually, like I was always a true believer. I never had a moment where I was standing on a stage going, I don't believe this. But I, I was always a true believer. Um, and I think that conviction and the ability to tell a good story is what propelled me into the regional conferences and then the national conferences and uh, eventually joining the staff here in Orlando. That's why I moved here um, to join the Exodus staff here. And so it was very much a numbing effect, a very addicting effect, but it was also killing me slowly. Um, when I first moved to down here and joined the Exodus staff, I think I made like 24 um, thousand a year and um, and which was very low um, at, the, at the time but as I got promotions and things like that I made a decent salary and I don't mind my saying because people ask all the time the most I ever made there was 62 and that's a really good living um, I wish I made that now <laughs> but um, but it it was never I can honestly say it was never for the money I mean, getting the paycheck was cool, but I really thought I was called to it. So even if I didn't get the paycheck, which I didn't for years, every all the leadership that I did at Exodus, or I mean at the, the local uh, ministry before joining Exodus, I didn't make any money. Um, and I, I had a second job, a pay the bills job, and then I would spend 30, 40 more hours a week doing uh, the local ministry stuff. One of the questions that was running through my mind as we were doing this interview with him, and, and as I, I was watching the documentary, is do they think, is they're at home at night and they put their head on the pillow, do you think I'm gay still, you know? Or is this, is this crap working? Or like, what is the thinking behind that? 
Well, I would always share about um, how I was in the process of changing. I never felt comfortable saying I was a full-on raging heterosexual. I mean, look at me. <laughs> All of this thing, well, I'm working on being straight. Right. And this is where they got, and, and a lot of people get stuck. You know, when you would have struggles, like when I developed a crush on a personal trainer one time, you would have to confess. And so the, the act of confession put all the power into the person you're confessing to. And so that that helped condition the brain to say, okay, I don't want to have to go to that person again. So I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to do this. There would be, oh, we love you. We're so sad that you developed a sinful attraction towards your personal trainer. And it was like, you know, you grieve the heart of God. So let's pray that you for forgiveness for committing adultery against your God. That's really the nuts and bolts of him describing how this is supposed to work is by just tamping down every denial. true thought and denial feeling is you a have. very long river. So it's denial, like, denial, yeah. denial, denial. But it doesn't work. Well, it's been proven not to work, oh, actually. Well, and not only is it proven not to work for the people who are trying to do it, but the teachers who are teaching it, it's not working for them either. This goes back to, you know, Randy saying, you know, you say the thing over and over and all of a sudden you try to start to believe it. Here's how it rolls, folks. Once you start lying, the lie becomes a lie that's a bigger lie, bigger lie, bigger lie. You can't dampen it down. You cannot deny it. The truth is the only thing that you can, uh, that is ever going to redeem you. Between you and me, there wasn't a lot of honest truth going on at Exodus at all, period. Randy said he started working there in 2002, and one of his first jobs for the organization was a bit unconventional. He was in charge of dealing with scandals because the staff at Exodus developed a really bad habit of sleeping with their clients. Yeah, it's pretty gross. It got so bad, Randy started calling himself the chief fire putter outer. I had to report therapists all the time. I had to call the police quite a few times. And there were even some therapists that I threw out of the networks. Now, I'm conservative at this point. I'm a, I'm a religious right. I will call myself a nut job because that's what I was. And even I am throwing out therapists from Exodus because they're using their clients as guinea pigs. And even right now, that breaks my heart because some of the memories that I have of that. Um, but I would have to call the licensing boards and even local authorities and say, we've gotten this report, um, blah, blah, blah. And I was also in charge of making sure that if anything got out publicly, that we handled it. Like this one person, he was caught going into a bathhouse and he was caught on tape. And so there was an activist threatening to release the tape publicly and um, this guy was freaking out. And so I, I did crisis management. I basically guided him through, do not say anything, do not do this, blah, blah, blah. And I talked to the activist and convinced that person to not release it. Um, so I was the, the fixer um, in some ways. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a regret that I have. I, and that, but that was at the same time, um, every single time it was just chipping away at that denial wall. You see what I mean? There was a lot that was wrong about Exodus, even beyond the extremely harmful act that is conversion therapy. 
And after nearly 40 years, the reign of Exodus International finally came to an end. I helped uh, close Exodus in 2013. Another important pivot point was the 2008 uh, election um, because the night that Obama was uh, elected the first time, uh, at the time I wasn't happy about it, uh, but I was very happy that Prop 8 had been struck down, anti-gay marriage amendments had passed all over the country. So I was talking a good game on social media about having won all these things because we had traveled all around the country um, sharing our stories and um, I think it was that night uh, and I still get emotional thinking about it the LGBTQ plus community all over California just poured out into the streets I had never seen anything like it before and they were showing scenes on the on the TV and I would see these couples just mourning and wailing and grieving and the anger and that still small voice. I'm still a, a spiritual person. There was a small voice inside of me as I watched and I got goosebumps everywhere. And I said, how could we, could I have done that to my own people? And it was the first time I'd ever had the thought of these are, this is my community. It was the first time I'd had that thought in years. And it broke my heart and I just cried and cried for the rest of the night. And it speaks to the power of when you humanize an issue, it defeats stigma. When you get out there and you speak your truth and you show the truth and you stand up for the truth bravely, which every person who went into the streets that night did, it, that is the power to change hearts and minds. That's really tough to listen to. And I mean, just so yes. intense, right? Yes. And I feel like it's something that without, other than documentaries, no one really has like a thought of like, oh, this is what conversion therapy looks like, yes. right? It's one of those things that you kind of, you don't really see it. It's not like they have websites where they're like, here's all the things we do. I mean, they may, but. You know, it's it's so firsthand to know what it's like. Why do you share your story? You share your story because the power of truth can change lives. It's as simple as that. <laughs> like you, you and, and truth is more powerful because it's an addition and negativity is a negative. That's why I'm always talking about positives and negatives. If you add to the truth, you can change people's lives. And that's what you're doing, Levi. And as much as humanly possible is what Randy is doing. And what I want to also just take a moment to understand the risk that it takes for these people to be coming out and talking and speaking out. I mean, we've, we've heard people do it with Scientology. This is now being done on Pray Away. The voices like Randy Thomas's who are saying, I was the head of this industry. I was the head of telling people to lie to themselves and others about who they are. That takes strength. And that is the strength of love. And the importance of love is raining down through what exactly what you're talking about, the people who made the documentary, the commitment to making the documentary, oh, and the voices who are able to say, I, I used to do this, but I have changed my heart. So he talked a lot about how it started and kind of the motivations that drove him to being part of Exodus, but how did he plan an exodus from Exodus or an exit from, from that situation? 
he gets to a place where he just feels like his blinders have been removed and he sees things for what they are. And I think this is the best part of the whole story. Leading up to 2013, uh, my boss, Alan Chambers, had done three interviews with Lisa Ling. And in those interviews, he was confronted um, and asked really important questions. And he confessed that he believed that if a gay person said that they believed in Jesus, that they would be in heaven with us. Um, and by the third show, he was put in a group of survivors and they just lit into him. And it really broke his heart. Um, but because he had participated in those programs and he had softened his stance as far as you can be gay and Christian, um, it caused a civil war within Exodus. Um, we had we had over 200 agencies. And if you've ever heard of really terrible denominational splits, this was the nonprofit version of that. It was it was one of the most excruciating things I've ever been through, watching uh, people that I had loved and respected turn on a dime. And so in 2012, um, I was tasked with, because we were losing supporters, we were losing member agencies, we didn't really know what our messaging was anymore because we, we had determined that people weren't really changing. And people didn't want to give to an organization that didn't know what it was doing. And so as the vice president at the time, I was already determining whether we should close or rebrand or what. Um, but unfortunately, on January 28th, I got a phone call that my friend Michael, who I had known since 1992, actually 1990, um, had committed suicide. And he, uh, and the reason why he did is because he thought that God was punishing him for being in a gay relationship. Um, some terrible things that happened in that relationship that was very unhealthy and wrong. But because of the ideology that we both ascribed to, um, that I was promoting, um, he felt like God was punishing him. And, and that ideology, that conversion therapy ideology, led my friend, who was a Mensa member, who was one of the most funny, smart, beautiful men I've ever met in my life, led him to think that he had to commit suicide because God was punishing him. And so when I got that call, if you can imagine blinders, gone. And I was just like, this was Michael. You know, I wish I'd listened to the stories that had come to me before, you know, where people had told me similar stories, but I didn't. It took Michael. I could not excuse it away. I could not go into denial. I could not numb it. I could not comfort myself out of it. It forced me to take the most fearless moral inventory I've ever taken in my life. And it crushed me. And I realized that I'm going to do this report for Exodus because it's already a decision on whether to close it or not. And when Michael did this, I was like, I told my boss, I said, Exodus has failed its mission nobody's changing and not only that it is a tool of death and destruction and it murdered my friend so whether the board takes this report and chooses to close exodus or not i'm leaving and he said i've already come to the same conclusions i want you in that meeting 
And so we presented, I, he approved the report. We went into the board meeting and on June 19th of 2013, the board unanimously decided to close Exodus, not give it to somebody else to run to continue the abuse, but to close it. And that is a day I celebrate every year. And it's the first day, it's the first day that I actually showed true leadership in supporting that decision and helping to shut down Exodus. I fully believe that there will be young people, teenagers, uh, young adults, parents. I know that they're going to watch this. And I know that you're watching me right now. And what I would say is, is that I know in your heart of hearts, you want to have permission to love your LGBTQ plus child in a way that's life-giving. Ex-gay ministries and conversion therapies do not give life. In fact, there are very small bubbles. And what will happen is they will hook you in, as I shared earlier in the, in the, in the video, and they will redefine reality. But the truth is that, that there, we live in a day and age where there is a huge LGBTQ plus person, our community. There are pro-gay affirming resources in the church and culture and uh, educational institutions. The gay community has risen up. We're still rising up. We still got work to do, but we're here to help you. That's where we all started. We all needed each other to come out of that closet. And you are a beautiful person. Don't think for a moment that God doesn't love his LGBTQ plus people. Those are all cultural driven uh, redefinitions of God's heart. God's heart is for you to be exactly how you were created to be. You were created to bring relational beauty into this world with the identity that you know you have and with your sexual orientation. That's how you were created to bring beauty into this world. Don't let anybody steal your beauty. Don't let anybody steal your power. And there are resources everywhere in the gay community. There are lots and lots of loving LGBTQ plus men, women, non-binary, trans. We're all here just waiting for the gift of you to join us in our community. Amen. 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 <sighs> I loved that. I'm honestly so grateful that we had this time together to kind of go through this story. One, because I think it brought in more perspectives than me just watching the documentary, which I am going to do, but also having that element of your own life experiences and Anne's being so direct in correlation to his story um, to kind of help me see it even more and see it even more clearly. And even that moment where we're we discussed your mom, Nancy, and the things that she still does and your sister and, and their I guess you'd say connections to conversion therapy, really, or adjacent um, elements of religion. Having that added insight is so invaluable and really eye-opening. And, and Heather, having your perspective was equally um, valuable because you're coming at it from the perspective of a mom, which there are a lot of listeners who are moms. Well, we can't thank you enough for having us on. I think one of the things that we've dedicated ourselves to is saying, let's be a part of a community for healing, love, 
and living in kindness and uh, we keep growing in our tribe and in together we are better. There's two links that have a lot of resources, the um, prayawayfilm.com and uh, wanna, W-A-N-N-A, talkaboutit.com. Pride is a production of Straw Hut Media. If you like the show, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Pride. And tune in weekly for new episodes featuring great stories from amazing queer people. If you'd like to connect with me, you can follow me everywhere at Levi Chambers. Pride is produced by me, Levi Chambers, Maggie Bowles, Ryan Tillotson, and Caitlin McDaniel. Edited by Silvana Alcala and Daniel Ferreira. Sound mixing by Silvana Alcala. Sorry, Mom, you're wrong. Get out of my way, bitch. <laughs> <laughs>